Hi, it's Alexa, and this is Savage Lifecast, because in a world full of chaos, loving yourself is a savage act. We're here to create conscious conversations around all the goods, all the important stuff, all the yummy stuff, life, love, spirituality, business. So let's all take a deep breath and get ready to pause, to breathe, and to savor it all. Let's go. Oh my God, Jamie Ray. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's such a gift. I fucking love what you're creating in the world. I love the way you show up and the authenticity that you provide and, uh, and your wisdom. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate that. And I love watching your Instagram account. I was saying this, you know, before we started recording, but yeah. you really make me feel so unflexible. And I feel like I'm just watching like, <laughs> you know, Cirque, like Cirque du Soleil in fucking real time, like, you know, in, in the mountains of LA on Instagram. It's fucking yes. amazing. I'm just going to put my leg up right now just to intimidate. There just we go. to freak me out. Like, Freak you out. That is like the best way to freak me out is, is putting your leg like above your head and yes. I'm sitting here. I, I can't even, I can barely cross my legs. You know it's what? Bad. Different strokes, different folks. Come out to LA. I'll take care of you. Yeah. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll show me how to stretch properly. I got you. I got you, boo. Um, well, first of all, let me say that um, for, for my beautiful uh, listeners, I've had Jamie's amazing girlfriend on the podcast Miss Kelsey Craft. Yes. So if you haven't listened to Radical Self Love on this podcast, please go back to episode, I want to say it's episode like 10 or something. It's like a good 25 yeah. episodes ago. So please go check that out. But also, Jamie, can you talk to us a little bit about what you do, who you are, how you're showing up in the world, and what you're creating? Yeah. So, um, well, on Instagram, you can find me. I mean, I guess I could have said this at the end, but jamie.n.ray. And, um, yeah, so I'm a life coach, I'm a dating coach, and I'm a relationship coach. Um, I'm also a screenwriter as well. And a lot of the stuff that, that I do is I help people connect to themselves and um, obviously, you know, break patterns in relationships where, you know, if we're stuck in these kind of dysfunctional patterns, I, I help people connect to themselves, embrace their stories, because I feel, I feel like the most valuable thing that we own is our story. And everything that made us who we are, you know, like, you know, parts of our story that we may hold with shame. It's embracing all of our story. And that's kind of our salvation. That's our liberation. And we, when we embrace everything that made us who we are, and we connect to that core truth of who we are, we then begin to reclaim our power. Yeah. And so I basically work, work with people kind of through this macro scope of building the conditions in their life for love. Yeah. So obviously, you know, dating and, and finding someone's important. But if you don't have the conditions for epic, legendary love to show up, then it's, it's not fucking going to show up. <clears throat> it's all about how intimately connected you are to yourself and that relationship that you have with yourself. And it's that whole cliche, like you have to embody what it is you want. You have to become a lighthouse for the love that you want. Yes. And so I basically work with people, you know, in a life coaching capacity to create the conditions for love. And then also, you know, how to up-level the relationships, you know, communicate better and just call in fucking epic, legendary love where 
they can be seen in the true power of who they are. Isn't it amazing that like, this is something that we all want. And frankly, what we're like biologically hardwired for is for connection. And yet like nobody teaches us how to do it. Not to mention we like have dysfunctional relationships that we grow up with. I mean, I'd love to say that we all like get out of our house at 18 unscathed, but like that's ever the case. And no one teaches us how to do it. No. And like, I, you know, I, I said this many times, I find it fucking crazy how we'll go work, you know, even eight hours a week at our job. We'll, we'll go to school. We'll obtain all these degrees. Yes. Yet the thing that is most important, which is human connection is the thing that we're least willing to work at. It's like, imagine, imagine our lives. If we worked at our relationships and our connection to self, the same way that we fucking go to the gym every day, the same way that, you know, if we're going to fucking Mexico, for, you know, a couple of weeks and, and we start dieting, we're like, oh, I got to fucking look good for that one Instagram yeah. beach photo. Yeah. And imagine if we applied that same worth, work ethic to relationships, how different our life would be just for the fact that human connection is the most important thing that determines our overall happiness. We're starved. We're starved for it. We're starved for connection. And yet no one really even knows how to connect. We're atrophied. We're like, dude, like my muscles are fucking sickening, but like my love yeah. muscle is like not that cute. <laughs> no, and it, like, and you know, I think just, you know, a lot of us were, we're living as mannequins, like built up identities of, of who we feel that we need to be the, to then be worthy of love. And so it's all about, you know, this, this liberation and stripping back all the fucking identities, everything that, that you've kind of built up to, to then, you know, try to acclimatize to be worthy of love and just getting to the core of who you really are. And that's when the journey really begins. Yeah. So what set you on this path? Like what was the like, aha, I need to help people with this. What was that about for you? Yeah. So basically like my journey in relationships started, I guess it would be like eight years ago now. And me and a childhood friend, we started this, this, you know, kind of online men's entertainment um, website called the bro log, which, <laughs> you know, it's when we were like mid twenties, we're kind of in that bro kind of phase. And it was, you know, we wrote about sex. We wrote about fucking blowjobs, like, you Love know, it. all this sort of stuff. And that was when I began, the wheels began turning. And so me and my buddy, we did that for a few years. Um, and then we ended up kind of shutting that down. But then I picked up a freelance writing career from doing that, where I started writing about, you know, relationships and sex for, you know, publications across North America. Dope. Did that for a little while. So kind of, I started as a writer. So in the relational space, I've been a writer about relationships for about eight years. So that's where I began. And then last year, it was upon meeting my lady, Kelsey, online, um, where it was kind of this, this crazy intervention where meeting Kelsey and, you know, she had been a relationship coach for, for 10 years and was incredible. And it was like meeting her was like, you know, she was so smart in all these ways. It was like, holy, like, fuck, like it opened up this whole other world. And then at that, t- at that same time, by like divine intervention, I was getting all these messages from people who were responding to my work. Mm-hmm. in a different way. They're like, like, Oh my God, like, like this, like article that I read of yours on the good men project, like it changed my life. Yeah. And it was at the same time that Kelsey was like, you know, you should really think about like creating programs or like, have you ever thought about coaching? And I always had this thing in my head that I would make it in the entertainment business by mm-hmm. 35. You know, I'd be like this, like, you know, famous screenwriter or something that never happened. And, mm-hmm. but I was like at 35, I'll become a life coach. So it was kind of in my subconscious to become a coach at some point in time. And it happened way earlier. And then, you know, kind of upon meeting Kelsey, like I was going through a spiritual awakening at the time, my life was, was in this huge kind of transition period. And it was almost like the coaching thing kind of came to me that it was, I felt I was being 
called to do it. Yes. And so I started doing it and it's been, you know, last year in 2018, I started, you know, coaching and it's been the fucking greatest thing that, that I've ever done. Well, I mean, I haven't had the privilege of being coached by you, um, but I will say that the the way that I see you interact with with your people on the interwebs is like truly remarkable. You wrote a post recently about um, under functioning. Yes, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that because I think that is like an epidemic, not just with men, with women as yeah. well. Um, but you obviously spoke about it from a man's point of view, and I, I would I just think that's so fascinating. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So obviously my story and, you know, basically, um, you know, Kelsey and I recorded a podcast on, on our podcast, the power couple podcast about this, everyone like check su- it out. everyone yeah. check it out. It's so good. <laughs> uh, so sucking from the mommy nipple. Um, cause basically that was my story was the thing that I struggled with the most in my childhood was incompetency. And so basically under functioning kind of that dynamics that, that happened is that, you know, we're, we're coddled in, in our early childhood. And oftentimes it can be because, you know, one or, or both parents, you know, so say the, say, say that I'm a, a little kid and I'm crying and the mom or dad or whatever is not able to, to sit with the discomfort of, of me crying. They, then they come and basically over coddle. Mm-hmm. And so obviously when we're kids, it's important that we need to have, you know, our nervous system reg and our emotions regulated by our parents. But it's important, you know, particularly for young boys as well, to go into the world and, and, and to become self-sufficient. But then if we, you know, are out there struggling and then, you know, our moms or, or, or dads aren't able to sit with that discomfort and they, you know, come to us and do things for us, then we begin to develop this, this wound where we're incompetent, where it almost feels like our development is not complete. And so I remember being in like social circles and, you know, as a teenager, and all the guys were, were talking and I would just feel really not smart. I would not feel intelligent. You know, there would come a topic in conversation and I would have this shame where I'm like, fuck, I don't know. So it's like, I basically felt like I was lesser of a man. Wow. I, felt like, I felt like there was something wrong with me, that my development was somehow incomplete. And it goes back to how we interact with our parents from a young age. And, you know, the whole thing being a mama's boy yeah. um, and sucking from that mommy nipple. And then how that plays out in relationships is you basically choose partners that are, you know, surrogate mothers who end up doing everything for you. And mm-hmm. so even if it comes to like planning a vacation, you know, like, you know, back when in my relationships, like my partner would be, you know, doing the logistics of the details of planning the vacation or even just around the house, like, you know, household chores. And that really mucks up intimacy if you can't be in your masculine mm-hmm. and throw into the mix for me that I had um, a passive father who, you know, was an amazing dad. Like, I don't want to, you know, um, shame my parents are the most incredible parents. But when I I watched my dad be passive to my mom, Mm -hmm. it basically, you know, really kind of affected me in terms of me harnessing my masculine. And this is really important, you know, particularly from for boys to have challenge when they're growing up, because there's no like rites of passage really for men anymore. You know, like there was Boy Scouts and stuff like these basic things where we have to sit with our own discomfort because that's where our masculine edge is harnessed in those spaces where we have to just fucking figure it out for ourselves. And so that's kind of the basis of it where it's this real core wound that you're inferior, that something is wrong with you, that you're incompetent, um, that your development is somehow incomplete. And it's basically now the process in adulthood is, is how do we move more towards optimal functioning? Wow. And so that's kind of, that's kind of been my story. 
with it. And I did that post and it was great. Cause like a lot of people really responded to it and a, a lot of women too as well. Cause it's not, this is not like a male thing. It's a human thing. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, like, I just want to say, I, I resonated with it as well because I am a codependent. Okay. Yeah. And I am a very high functioning. Mm. And so I tend to attract I tend to attract the like mommy nipple suckers. Yes. Yes. So, so you would, you would constantly be kind of breastfeeding your boyfriends. Always. So, so what was kind of your story with, with the overfunctioning? Like, cause obviously thing is like yeah. the overfunction and the underfunction are struggle with the same thing and it's worthiness. Exactly. It's, totally. just the, it's just the inverse of each other. So like, what was kind of your story? Like a little bit with that? Yeah. My lovability, um, something that I think my, my core shame, my like big, like overlying, like, here's what you're here to learn, Alexa, is that I'm unlovable. And yeah. I feel like I am more lovable and more, uh, in my power when I am providing and when I am doing, mm. um, me being in my beingness makes me unworthy. Mm. If I'm not procuring, then I'm not, I'm not. I'm not worthy. And while on a cognitive level, I totally know that that is not true. And I'm doing so yeah. much work around that. And it's so yeah. wonderful. And I'm like practicing it. And like, there's been huge fucking shifts. Yeah. You know, it still comes up. These things don't like go away overnight. I think it's so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine recently and I was telling, telling him about this issue that I have around this. And he's like, so change it. And I was like, cool. Yes. Practicing. <laughs> I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm working on it. But it's not just like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Change, got it. Uh Uh-huh. Totally changed my DNA. My all my rewiring has been completely done. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, and however fucking long that we've and and this starts from fucking early childhood and however long that we've been on the planet, it's like a long process. And and I, I remember I did this post as well recently where, you know, our parents are basically our greatest spiritual teachers. Because, you know, our childhood basically brings us these great gifts. And, you know, going back to the under under functioner, I was hugged too much as a child. I was told that I was special way too often. I was told that I could fucking do anything. And so this is giving me this unbridled self-expression where I can just be my flamboyant self in the world. And it's why, like, online, I'm able to express and be vulnerable with my story so easily. Like, like it's not something that freaks me out. And that's uh, that's completely credit to my parents and the way they raised me but then my work now but now my work becomes loving myself in the ways that they weren't able to love me which is you know harnessing my masculine energy which is embracing my relationship with the core emotion of fear because like with the under function or the biggest thing is yeah. there's a lot of fear imprinted in the, into the nervous system and so when yeah. you know when when you're in that space of discomfort when you don't learn to self-regulate yourself you anxiety comes because your nervous system gets overwhelmed and you're like oh shit like you know because you were so used to having a parent then coming in and coddling you or or you know repairing what was going on and telling everything's going to be okay yeah and so what we didn't get in childhood now becomes the greatest work of our life the way that we can now integrate and become whole and um yeah like i think that's like so interesting how um i think it was in a book that I was reading where they were talking about how our parents are basically and our family systems are chosen for us on this like spiritual level. Yes. 
I completely agree with that. Um, I was reading that with um, Dr. Carolyn Mace. I think it was, there's one, there's a book she has called Sacred Contracts and how you do, like you choose your parents. It's like, okay, here's what I'm here to learn this lifetime. So like, (laughs) let me choose choose these parents who are going to set me up and they're going to like teach me this and then I'm going to have to like unravel it and like fuck it up and like undo it. And it's so interesting. And then I I think it also comes into our stories as well and, and how our stories are our power. And when we can, you know, when we're constantly ripping out pages of our story or we're like, I don't want to... Um, look at this part of my story, we were all of a sudden we're giving away our power because, and this is what I work with people. You know, I do a lot of kind of narrative stuff and being a screenwriter as well. I love telling stories. And so I love hearing people's stories. And when we embrace everything that happened to us as painful, as hard as it may be to look at, that becomes our reckoning. That becomes our liberation. And, you know, going back again to the parents to, you know, soul contracts that our parents are almost chosen for us is when we embrace just the whole of, of what made us who we are, then we really are able to start working. And, and that's where intimacy really begins is, is when we embrace our stories. And um, I think it's just so fascinating just how powerful um, our stories are and the ones that we tell ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it just changes the lens through which we see everything. It's all the lenses that we look at shit. Like, like that's all it is. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm reading this book right now called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Have you ever heard of it? I'm so obsessed. I've read oh it a my, times. Like, Do you know that this is true? Can you really, can you really know that that's true? Holy <laughs> shit. Like I was saying to Kelsey, because she's the one who recommended me the book. If yeah. there was, at this point in my life, if there was one book that I could recommend to someone to like end suffering, to change their life, it would be this book. Totally. Because, you know, after years of studying self-development, I feel like this book encompasses all aspects of self-development in these yeah. four questions. So fucking good. It's crazy. It's so good. Wild. And it does. It just really, it just reduces suffering because again, we're so stuck in our story that this should be this way and you should be doing this for me and I should be showing up like this. Is it true? It no. never is. It just in, never- in the most infinite you know, realm of possibility, is it true? And like, of course the answer is no. no. Because, you know, in the infinite realm of possibility, like anything could be true. Right. And I think this is the big thing too, is like, you know, obviously in the book, it talks about how we're lying to ourselves, but we get stuck in this negative bias and, you know, I'm guilty of this. I, you know, would complain and be fucking so negative. And the thing is, if we're going to make up all these negative catastrophic possibilities, we have to come up with the positive end of it. Like what else is possible here? What else could happen, you know, and, and we get caught in this negative bias when if we're going to be doing that, we might as well come up with the positive side because in the infinite realm of possibility, you know, there's so much shit that, that could transpire. Mm, I love it. So you got me thinking a little bit about like patterns because again, like we live in our story and then we have that lens on, we have that pair of glasses on and then we walk around attracting the same things or we walk around um, staying away from the same things yeah. or we walk around with that lens, right? Yeah. How do you have any kind of words of wisdom about how to break pattern and how to get out of um, like, if like for me for the longest time, and I'm very grateful to say that I am breaking this pattern and have <laughs> it. Um, yeah. but for the longest time I was really good at attracting only unavailable men. Yeah. And that it was like, it was the most amazing, most amazing thing. It was like, there could be a room of 50 men. And the one that I'd be like, you, you're the one. 
and I'd go up and it would be like, yeah, I just got out of a six year relationship. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I'm, I'm still living with her, but we're broken up. You know, it's like <laughs> this, yeah, you know, these yeah. patterns. Yeah. Um, what do you have to say around, around patterning and potentially breaking free of pattern? Yeah. And, you know, obviously in terms of patterns, it always goes back to, you know, our family system. And then, you know, on a basic level, like what we're doing relationally is we're trying to win the love of the parent that we had the hardest time getting the love and attention and admiration from growing up. Woof. And, you know, so it, it always begins there. And, you know, so we're either going to choose something that is familiar. So say we had like a mom that, you know, was emotionally unavailable to us and, you know, never told us like, dear, like, you're so special. Like, you know, I love you so much. Like you, like I accept you and I'm proud of you exactly as, as who you, who you are. So, you know, if you don't hear that, then, then now you have to go win love through, through accomplishment, through, you know, this perfectionist attitude from, you know, accomplishing things like, Oh, like, and all the time you're trying to win the love of mom. And that will carry out relationally where you'll choose partners who then mimic the fact that they're unavailable, that these partners aren't, aren't available to you because you weren't able to get, you know, the love and, and attention of, of mom for who you are. And so you'll, you'll choose someone who's going to reaffirm what was familiar in childhood. And then oftentimes people, you know, can often choose the exact opposite. So if they grow up in a house where there's a lot of arguing, you know, where the parents are constantly bickering, then they may choose a relationship where, you know, there's no confrontation just to, you know, get away from the anger. So we either choose like the complete opposite or what's the most familiar. And it always comes back to connecting with that inner, inner boy, that inner girl. What did you need in your childhood that you never got? And I think that's the basis of it is, is what did you, you know, that's why I always ask my clients, it's like, you know, once we kind of go through the family system, I'm like, what did you need to hear? What is something you could have heard from your parents that would have changed your fucking life? Oof. What is that? What is that one thing you need to hear? And, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, that I wanted them just to say they were proud of me and they love me for exactly who I am. And if we don't hear that, then we end up gaslighting our own emotional experiences being like, you know, and that's where we, we struggle with boundaries because we begin to doubt ourselves because we never had a parent who was like, you're beautiful. And, and we never had a parent who validated the experience that we're feeling. So yes. it always comes back to then in adulthood, you know, harnessing the boy, harnessing the little girl. What did you, what did you need in childhood that, that you never got? And then now as an adult, we have to become our own super parent. And at the basis of like dating and patterns is reparenting is becoming the parent for yourself that you never had growing up. And and so that's where the whole connection to self is. And that's why I believe that self-love, you know, and connection to self and being intimate with yourself is essentially being intimate with the things that you never got in your childhood. Wow. There's a, there's, for me and my experience, cause I know everything, <laughs> I know everything you said to be true, actually. <laughs> um, and, and I find that for me, there's a grieving there. Mm-hmm. There's a grieving in the, in, in the letting go of the story. Yes. And there's a grieving in letting go of the pattern. And there's a grieving of, of acknowledging that the thing that I'm so desperately seeking from other is totally an inside job. Yeah. And that the parents that I have, while they are fucking dope, like my parents are really cool. They will <laughs> never be able to give it to me. Yeah. They really can't. Yeah. It's already been so hard wired, right. That, that I didn't receive it when I was developmentally, you know, 
available to that. Yeah. So for me, there was, it was, it was like a little bit of a death. Yeah. That, and that was really scary and sad and, and beautiful. And it really did blossom my life into a lot more availability, but there was like, there was a time of just like sadness around it. Like, fuck, Mm. I gotta, I gotta do this. Like I gotta be the parent for myself, despite the fact that I'm in many ways, like, like I was kind of my parents' parents. Yeah. You you had to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And like, I like, I'm your parent and I gotta be my own fucking parent. <laughs> He's like, now I gotta do all the fucking work here. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. I should get a fucking, like a master's and PhD in fucking parenting based off the life that I've gone yeah. through. And I love what you said, cause I like, my parents are cool as shit. I have a great relationship with them yeah. today. And that's the thing is like, you know, no one comes out of childhood unscathed. We could have the fucking dope, dopest parents who could read all the parenting books, be the oh. most boss parents. And we're still going to come into adulthood with shit fuck ton of work, yes. you know? And that's the biggest thing is, is I think in relationships is that's why we build these fantasy stories because we don't want to look at ourselves. We don't want to realize that, that we have to do the work. And so that's why we, we, we are always trying to source love externally. Oh, if I get this person, all of a sudden I'll be happy and I'll be connected. But yes. it's, all about, it's all about you and becoming your own parent and being intimate with yourself in the ways that you really needed a parent to be intimate with you whenever, you know, that, that rupturing or, or, you know, whatever that happened in your childhood. And it's really scary and confronting, I think for a lot of people, you know, realizing that, whoa, like that's the pathway to, to me having an incredible relationship with myself. That's the pathway where I'm going to actually be able to heal in relationship to others. So all of a sudden when we're on our own, it becomes just being aware of these things and beginning that process. But you know, these wounds are not really going to be healed and integrated into a relationship with other. That's why Mm -hmm. in romantic relationship, we really, really heal because obviously, you know, the, the childhood wounds that we experienced, they were with our parents, they were on the playground. They were, you know, with, you know, that first girlfriend we had, like all, all those wounds that, that come, come in relationship to others. So that's why we say, if we can, when we're single, if we can be aware of what we needed in childhood and never got, if we can be aware of our wounding, then we can choose someone now that doesn't, you know, amplify the wound, Mm -hmm. but someone that actually becomes a great healing partner that almost becomes a spiritual choice that someone can help you integrate what you never got in childhood now in this commitment, in this partnership for the rest of your life. And it's a beautiful thing. Oh, so good. So I, so what I'm hearing you say is that like our and I totally fucking agree is that like Mm. our romantic partners are our teachers in that, in that sense and can help us work through our stuff that we never got. And I like, I so, so agree. And, Mm. and I, I think for me, because I've, I've wanted, like I've had, I've had two types of unavailables. I've had the unavailables that are like, no, I don't, I really don't want partnership. And I've had yeah. the unavailables that are like, I'm scared shitless and I'm unavailable, but like, I'm ready, willing and able to like work through this with you. And like, we can both be unavailable together. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And yeah. yeah and, and it's just, it's finding someone that's, that's willing to do the work with you. It's finding someone that's, that's willing to heal with you. And it, essentially when we choose 
if we're going to have a conscious partnership, when we choose the partner we choose, the contract you make is I'm choosing you because you're the person I want to heal with. That is essentially the contract that we make. And it's choosing someone, you know, it's not choosing someone who you want to grow old with. It's choosing someone who you want to spend the rest of your life healing with. Dude, I'm like shook right now. That is so good. That's so fucking well, good. And, and so that, like, that's why I love like looking at relationships almost through this like spiritual lens. And that's why it's like, you know, I, I tell everyone like, you know, that I work with, you know, who is in a really new relationship or is single. The best thing that you can do right now is just gain massive awareness. It's almost like, say your life is like this building. If you could then become a helicopter who's circling kind of the, the building of your life and you have a bird's eye view of your pain, of your wounding, yes. then now you have the clarity to make a really powerful choice because, you know, con- when we're confused, AKA we're, we have wounding running us unconsciously. Right. That's when we just make those familiar choices. But then when we get clarity over our wounding, we have the power to make a choice where someone can, can become that, you know, spiritual teacher that, that person that can help us heal in this lifetime. And so just having awareness is mm-hmm. like that massive, massive first step. Totally. Well, I mean, we're talking about like patterns, like that's the wounding pattern. Like I'm just working out a pattern because this is my wound and this is what it is. There was a quote, Mark, Mark Groves, who's also been on this yeah. podcast guys. Um, he did, a, he, he wrote a quote that was like, my ideal, and I'm totally paraphrasing, so sorry, Mark, love you. <laughs> um, but like, it basically the gist of it was like, uh, I want a partner that brings up all my shit, but then stays with me to like pick up the pieces. Yes. I, I remember seeing that recently. And, and, and that is first off, like uh, I fucking love Mark and his quotes are so brilliant. So and brilliant. that's the biggest thing. And it, again, in this loving what is Byron Katie, um, book, it was, I, I put it on Instagram, but it was basically whoever you're living with right now, your children, your parents, your partner, they are your greatest spiritual teacher because particularly an intimate romantic relationship, they hold a mirror to us. So anything that, you know, drives us, you know, and and also our worst enemies are our greatest teachers as well, because, you know, the things that trigger us about people are holding a mirror to these, these, these unmet parts of us. And there's no better mirroring than, than when you're in a romantic relationship because, you know, all that stuff that, that is undealt with from, you know, the, the rupturing that happened in your child is going to come up because now your partner becomes your primary attachment figure. So, you know, your parents in the first couple of years were your primary attachment figures, then your partner then comes and mirrors that same bonding that you experience. And then, you know, as soon as you develop feelings, all of a sudden your attachment wiring is beginning to now become evident again on a physiological level in your nervous system. And you're like, Oh, here we go. And so when someone says, Oh, they're afraid of relationships or they're afraid of commitment. What it really means is that they're afraid to look at what they needed in childhood and they never got. Oh, daddy. (laughs) I had a a guy I dated once tell me, God, I just want this to be easy. Mm. And I, I, I wrote him later cause I was like, okay, cool. Bye. Like, just never, cause like, I, I firmly believe that like anything we want to be easy, it like makes it so much harder. Mm. Like, Oh, I just want this easy way out. Like there's yeah. no, I don't think that there's like an easy way out of pretty much anything. And that's not to say that things can't be joyous and amazing and fabulous. Yeah. I think like easy, like there's no easy button for life. Like the, the way out is through. Yes. And um, do you believe that partnerships can be easy? I believe that 
commitment can be easy in the sense that I'm here. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And so, so the willingness to be in the ring should is easy just in terms of the clarity, like clarity, like, yes, like, you know, going back to you're a great healing partner. I want to be here, but then, but then you've got to get in the dirt. So essentially yeah. relationships are like, you know, you're asking someone, do you want to get in the dirt with me? Because <laughs> relationships, think about it, like are complex, they're difficult. They're going to bring up all our stuff. And then going back to why I think people just want to have easy relationships and they don't want to do the work. It's because relation, relationships is, is the most confronting thing because we can work at our jobs, you know, and work our ass off and study business or work on our mindset. And we don't have to really go deep inside of ourselves. We don't have to face our past, but relationships bring up our past. They bring up everything undealt with. And the crazy thing too, is like relationships are a feelings arena. The only way to succeed relationally is to feel your feelings. You can't intellectualize your way to a great relationship. And so I think that's where the whole, I want relationships to be easy, meaning I'm scared to go back and, and look at my pain. I'm mm-hmm. scared to, to, to go back and, and, you know, revisit the relationship with my parents. I'm, I'm scared to have to deal with, you know, my really abusive childhood. And mm. that's the pathway to succeed relationally is, is, is to understand kind of what happened, you know, whatever rupturings may happen and then become the parent that you never got. And as you say, there's grieving to that. Yes. And that process is, is confronting. That process is, is scary. And, you know, I think that's why we cling to this Hollywood ideal that we're going to see someone across a crowded room yeah. and we're just going to know that's my person. And so I think humans, we're constantly finding ways to bypass the work it takes to have a great relationship and still have a great relationship. Right. Right. You said recently in what I don't remember if it was in your post or your podcast, but you were like, I don't know how people do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like basically, like, I don't know how people do relationships without fucking like doing this type of work. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I'm true. How? Like how? Well, and like Kelsey, like, and I would always be asking Kelsey this. I'm like, like Kelsey, like, do you think, like, what do you, what do you think? Like, do you think people can have a great relationship? And then I, and then I'll look back at my own past relationships before I found like the work or before I started to do self-development and relational right. stuff. And I'm like, they were all fucking chaos. They were, I was, you know, it was, you were just blindly chasing feelings, chemistry, sexual attraction into the fucking bear den. (laughs) And and then, and then you get eaten alive. And I think that's what, when we're relating unconsciously in the dating space, we're relating from our adaptive child. And it's like, we're, it's like, we're going out there and connecting blindfolded with, without using any of our fucking senses being like, Oh, like, like this person's fucking, you know, smells nice. I'm just going to go towards them, even though they might be a spade, even though they might be a saber toothed tiger. Fingers crossed. (laughs) But it's crazy because relationships, there's so much complex stuff that's going on, but yet we just make a choice. Oh, they're hot. And like, we, you know, have good banter and you know, they give me a boner and we have good banter. Like, like I'm going to choose this person. Banters and boners. It's what it's about. Oh God. Yeah. Well, banter (laughs) and boners are fucking really important. Even if you're having a really conscious partnership. Truth. Truth. And then, and I think as well, like on the flip side, it's like, if we can become too into like, you know, conscious relationships, then 
we might lack just having fun in our relationship, right. drinking, drinking a fucking bottle of wine, making dick jokes, and then banging, you know, in the backyard against a tree or something. A hundo or like hosting a dinner party and banging in the bathroom. I've done that. Yeah. One. And it's, I think it's so important to do this deep inner work and to work with our adaptive children and relationships. But then it's important to be like, you know what? Let's just be surface as fuck. And yeah. let's, Let's drink drinks, let's go out, let's dance, let's party, yeah. let's have fun, let's be light. And so in my relationship with Kelsey, like we really want to harness that balance where, and that's the thing too, is if we can be too into trying to build a conscious partnership, then we forget about the things like, oh, I need to be sexually attracted to my partner. I right. need to have chemistry. Because if you, yeah. if you only choose someone that is like, oh, they're a great dealing partner, that's the same as choosing someone that's good on paper. Oh, Yeah. You know, like if, because you need to have sexual attraction and you need to have chemistry or else the relationships, all you're going to end up doing is being like roommates who heal, you know? Yeah. Might as well be friends. Yeah. Exactly. Might, as well, might as well be friends who just process together. Dump the chump. No, totally. He's not a chump, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% <laughs> agree. And, and that is, you really have me thinking about, about like previous partners of mine where it's been too much of one thing and not enough of the other. Yeah. I've had, I've had, um, I dated someone recently that was just like all play. Yeah. All play. Yeah. Which was so necessary, really. Like I have a parent with stage four cancer. Like I am running a business. I am traveling internationally five times a year for work, not for joy, you know, and it is joy, but it's like, it's work. You know, so like to have a partner just be like, let's fucking go to this concert and then like bang and get tanged. Like it really worked for a while, you know, but there is, there wasn't this kind of balance and reciprocity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, you, you cut out a little bit on the feed there. It was, it was going all, I know it was, I could hear it a little bit. So, uh, maybe Um, we'll re say that. Yeah. Are you able to re-say that? Mm-hmm. Totally. And my amazing, my amazing editor will fix it. I love you. <laughs> um, so I was just saying, uh, there, there is that balance, you know? And it's like, for the longest time, for, for a while anyway, I was dating someone that was all play. Yeah. And that really served because like I, my life is intense in a lot of ways. Like I have a parent with cancer. I am running my own business. I am traveling internationally, you know, three to five times a year for work and like running all over the place. Yeah. And then to be able to like come back and just have a partner be like, we're going to go see this show and then like get a little lit and bang, like great. That's yeah. yeah. Um, this, this, I think, goes back to pattern disruption as well. I, I did another post on this as well, but sometimes to correct a pattern, we first need to overcorrect it. Mm-hmm. So say we have, you know, we would always be following chemistry and sexual attraction and people we had really great sex with, which yes. is a very important part of a relationship, but then we weren't choosing someone that was like a good healing partner. We w- weren't choosing someone that, that was, you know, that would help heal us. And so now, it, you know, it's about making a choice Sometimes it's not always, but overcorrecting and choosing someone who maybe is like a four or five on the chemistry level, but is a really great healing partner and you actually create a healthy relationship. And then now you have two ends of the, ex- the extreme and you're like, okay, chasing, you know, attraction to the fucking bear den. That wasn't working because right. that person I couldn't have that deep emotional bond with. 
and then choosing that person who, you know, I wasn't that attracted to, and it was a four or five on the chemistry scale that wasn't working either. And then now it becomes acclimatizing and finding the middle ground. And Christine Hassler um, has the best way of describing what I consider the person you're going to marry, the person that, that you're going to spend your life with is the person that feels like home, but you still want to jump them. Ah, I love it. So I think in terms of who we choose, it's like the perfect middle ground is choosing someone where it's equal parts safety and attraction. And so then it becomes the best of both worlds. You, you, you take all the amazing stuff from this conscious self-development space where, you know, you're aware of your wounding and you can process and have these deep conversations. But then you also take the great things about what love was like before you found the world. When it was just someone that you saw across a crowded room and you had chemistry. And I think sometimes for people, when they hear self-development, they're like, oh, like it's so unromantic. And I think it's important that we, we bring the boast, the boast. I think it's important that we bring the best of both worlds, you know, of, of that lit, let's fucking get drunk and let's fucking fuck against the tree in the backyard and, you know, pick apples and feed each other cut up apples, you know, take, Take the <laughs> take like the baby. I fucking adore you. <laughs> I eat apples and cut up apples. You're so cool. I, I, Sorry. All of a sudden, there was an orchard in my story. I saw a fucking orchard, and I was like, "I'm just gonna go with this." I love go. it. It just was so good. And you know, and I think so. So people who aren't in the cell or relational development, self development space, kind of you know, will hear me or other people talking about all this psychology and they're like, Ooh, like, I just want to like fucking have fun with my partner and, 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 you know, have this relationship, my relationship's good enough or whatever. And yeah. I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, and then you have people who all they do is fucking process. Right. All they do is like, I'm going to process my emotions and yeah. my inner child. And we're just going to yeah. like sit here and it's going to be deep and heavy. And, and I'm just like, that's just fucking too much. Let's find this middle ground where we can take the best parts of both worlds. And I, I think you're of the same camp. Yes. Hundo. Hundo. And I <laughs> have dated both extremes. And it is really fascinating. I mean, it's um, fascinating. Yeah. Like, In fact, I was dating for a while. I sound like I'm dating all of Los Angeles, which I, I kind of am. But I, um, <laughs> at one point, I was dating both at the same time. And really? I was like, God, if they could just have a baby. <laughs> if, if they could just bum fuck each other and then make a baby son, that, you would date the baby. I would put a ring on it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think having, you know, and that's why also with the work that I do in relational development, self-development, I want, like, sometimes I'll be on a call with a client and, or like doing a group coaching program and I'll, and I'll make a dick joke if, if it's appropriate. Because Absolutely. I I want people to heal through laughter. I want people, I want to be doing some deep work and then I want to fucking, let's, let's talk about nipples. Let's mix it up. But I think that, I think that contrast is, and, you know, bringing both ends is so important. And the way I want to look at relationships and the way I want to help people, you know, look at relationships is let's bring, you don't have to kill off that, you know, little girl who, who wanted to, you know, get married in the, in the little chapel and have this beautiful wedding and, you know, meet the love of their life. Like you can still have that and have all this great find a healing partner stuff. It's, it's finding the middle ground between safety and attraction. So 
good. What do you think are some of the qualities? That was really weird. Okay, it sounded so, sounded like it was like a gremlin in your computer. What do you? What do you? What do you? What do you? All of a sudden, we're making a mixtape here. This is like a podcast. Like we got a D, like a third party DJ here, or some shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's still kind of doing it. Okay, <laughs> computer. What were you saying? Computer, take a breath. Um, yeah. What do you think are some of the defining qualities that make us feel safe? Um, I think like what make us feel safe is, is that all of us is welcome. And so safety is literally like when you can validate your experience and all of you like on a core level is, is welcome. And so when we're talking about safety with a partner, it's, it's basically like, say you were to bring up something that you've never brought up relationally, something that maybe in past relationships had been a point where other people had walked away. It was like this, this part of, of shame that you, you held on to. Then when you bring that to a partner who can hold space and be like, how do we move through this together? And all of a sudden, that's this huge reclaiming of power because now you've reclaimed that part of your story that you looked on with so much shame. Now that becomes this actually powerful point where you gain new intimacy that you never have before. And that's why, like, I think, you know, the parts of our story that we hold back in shame, that's our reckoning. That's our liberation. That's where we really truly become empowered when we can embrace that in our story. And then when we bring those shameful parts to a partner and they can hold space and work with those wounds with us, that is where the ultimate safety is created because I'm like, whoa, the adaptive child is like, I feel so seen. I feel seen in a way potentially that I never had in my childhood. And then now you begin to write a new story, a story that is completely unfamiliar, a story that you've never written before. And then that's intimate in the sense because it's unfamiliar. It's going breaking into territory that you've never been before and and becomes this beautiful, intimate experience with yourself, but this intimate experience with the person that you're with where the little child feels held, it feels seen, feels understood and that's why I think safety is essentially like core soul power. Safety is super sexy. Oh, safety is like, you know, like I think it gets a bad rap that it's like, oh, this is like they're safe in the sense like they're boring and they won't hurt me. Right. You know, which I totally don't think is the case. Like I, I think safety is that this person is going to hold space for the, the truest and most honest expression of my soul and what made me who I am. And so it's this ultimate validation and affirming that all of me is welcome. And that is the ultimate sense of safety because you know that whatever experience you bring, your partner is not going to, you know, throw it to the curb. Your partner is going to want whatever it is that that's, you know, they're going to want your truth to come to the surface and they're going to be like, how do we work? How do we work with it? Yes. Not only not throw it to the curb, but also like not hold it against us. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the big thing too, is safety. You bring up a really great point there because I think partnership, it's basically intimacy is giving someone the power to destroy us. We can't be intimate without giving someone the ultimate power. They could fucking ruin us because we're basically handing over the parts of our story where this person could potentially take them. But that's why it's important to discern and vet people who's worthy of being led into these parts of my story. And then when that partner protects those parts of your story, and not only do they protect them, but those parts of your story where they now love you the most fiercely, where they don't shame and slander you, you know, they don't use that wound against you and and kind of poke into that wound and, and, you know, make fun of you and in public, 
they hold and caress that wound and they become an advocate for your healing and they never hurt you. Even though they have all the power to hurt you, they don't. They wouldn't. Yeah. Wow. That was super good. (laughs) (laughs) That's what fucking safety is. That was so good. Um, Okay. So I just looked at the clock. It's already been like 45, 50 minutes. Um, this is so I feel like I could just talk to you all day. All day. Next time it'll be Yumi and Kelsey and my dude, if he sticks around and we'll have a glass of wine or five. <laughs> and like, like as soon as we hopped on the call, even before we recorded, I'm like, whoa, like we're definitely gonna be friends. We're definitely gonna get, cause you, cool. you had this like, I'll have to say you have this like spunky, like amazing energy. Oh. You can tell you have like a wicked fucking sense of humor. And then you said fucking lit. And I'm like, <laughs> most people, most people over the age of 30 don't say lit. Like, like I, I, I say lit because I, I, I love doing what the cool kids are doing, you know? But it's like I'm over really the age millennial, of- but like, I'll be one. Yeah. And like, when I think we're over the age of 30, like shit that's lit, like, oh my God, like that laundry is folded so fucking lit. It's you know, it's lit. like- Yeah, yeah, totally. 100%. So no, you guys got to come here. Just come stay with me. Like, we'll hang out. We'll get lit. I'm, I'm so fucking, fucking excited. Like, we'll come down to LA and definitely hang out. Yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. Um, Okay, so I just want to ask a couple more things, and then we'll say sayonara for today. Um, If there was if there was one piece of advice that you could give to a couple that is just struggling to connect, struggling to communicate authentically, what would you what would you say? I know that's like the most broad question on the planet, but first thing that comes to your head. First thing that came to my head, yeah, like I'll just speak to that is drop your sword. Because um, I have this thing, like a lot of what I use in my coaching is like, what would you, you know, what would your life look like if you're the hero of your story? And then when I speak into relationships, I'm like the hero, the relational hero is the first one to drop their sword. Yes. I think the biggest thing a couple's struggling is it would be drop your sword, give up wanting to be right and focus on being connected and meaning no matter what fucking experience your partner is having, don't argue with it. That that, whatever experience they're having is truth. And so listen to what their fucking experience is and, and drop your sword, give up, give up the, you know, there's no, there's no place for an ego in a relationship. I mean, we all need a little bit of an ego obviously to discern that we're capable, but too much ego and you will fucking crumble your relationship because the biggest thing is, is the willingness to admit you're wrong. The willingness to admit that you fucked up, the willingness to admit that you don't have all the answers. So like humility is like the saving grace in a relationship when you can be the first one to say, I love you. You can be the first one to say, I'm sorry. The first one to say I fucked up. That's the hero in a relationship is the, the, the first person to, to break um, the egos, you know, stubbornness to want to be right and be like, I just want to be connected. And they lead with fierce vulnerability. That's stunning. <laughs> on your podcast, um, you guys were talking about like a fight you guys got in and how like yeah. both of you wanted to be like, I don't want to be the first to reach out. Like I'm going to just like back off. And like, normally I just like wouldn't, wouldn't reach out right away. And it was just like this whole thing. And it's like these games. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's because obviously, like always in times of distress in a relationship, we move back into the adaptive child. But the thing is the adaptive child inside of us, we all have on, and it doesn't want to connect. Right. It wants to stay stuck in its story. So the only way that we can now repair in a relationship, the only time repair can happen in a relationship is when we're relating in our functional adult. 
And that means giving up wanting to be right and wanting to be stuck in the story and now wanting to be connected. And we can only really, really connect and achieve intimacy and vulnerability when we're relating from our functional adult. Love it. Okay. We're going to do a little rapid fire. I'm just going to ask you which one you prefer this or that. Sure. We just want to know you, you know what I'm saying? Oh my Uh, gosh. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I, I'm both. Same thesis. I'm like, I, I call myself an introverted extrovert. I love it. Um, I don't know if you practice yoga, but yoga or seated meditation? Seated meditation. I, I'm, I'm, a hu- I'm a huge Pilates fan. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Like, like, I typically, well, because I have like a lot of back issues, so I typically do Pilates. I mean, I'm kind of a bit out of practice right now, but usually a couple times a week. That's dope. Yeah. Um, sex or sleep? Sex. <laughs> Bourbon or <laughs> wine? <laughs> Sorry, say it again. Bourbon or wine? Ooh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with bourbon. Love that. Um, New York or LA? LA. Ebook or hard copy? Ooh, I like both. Um, I'm going to go with hard copy though. Nice. Um, shower or bath? Um, I have showers more often, but you know, I'm going to go with fucking bath because I used to yes. love it. Dude. I love that. It's like a non-negotiable for me. Like if I were to get a new apartment and they didn't have a bathtub, I'd be like, not it. Um, milk or dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. Old Spice or Axe? Old Spice. Good moves. Phone call or text? Uh, text. Intelligence? I, fucking, I, I hate talking on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I secretly do too. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'll talk to you in person. Yeah, what seriously. No, like I always tell people, write me a fucking letter, put in a bottle and and go down to the nearest body of water. Boom. I like it. Um, Intelligence or humor? Both. And I, I'm going to, humor for sure. But I think you have to be intelligent to be funny, but I'm going to go with humor. Bingo, bango, bongo. Money or fame? Ooh, money. Where do we find you? You find me, honestly, just like the, the one-stop shop, the best place would just be on Instagram. That's okay. where I'm most active. Um, I said at the very beginning, um, yeah. but it's at jamie.n.ray. Um, and um, I don't know if you all have this spelling or something in, in show notes. Or something. But Instagram is definitely the, the best way to find me. And that's where I post, you know, all various coaching offerings and programs that are coming out and things that I'm collaborating and working on with with uh, my dear Kelsey, who you had on the podcast as well. And uh, everything's up there. So beautiful to have you. I, I feel so like my, I'm very excited about life talking to you. So thank you so much for everything that you're contributing, the way that you're showing up and just who you are and the energy you bring. So thank you. Alexa, thank you so much. Like, I really, really appreciate you having me on here. This was so much fun, like so, such a nourishing, but hilarious yeah. and awesome conversation I'm, I'm so grateful that we got to meet yeah and this is the beginning of our friendship right here it's all happening it's, so, it's all happening in the, in the name of penny lane and then it's tattooed on my body just fyi really yeah it's all happening it's tattooed on my body all right till next time baby Mwah. so great meeting you have a great day so Thank good you. bye babe bye